Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Punctuality is the thief of time, so take your dirty hands off flat chat. Yes, less late than usual, we've put the band back together despite lots of travellings. There's a new edition of GP Racing on the newsstands. Some copies may still be on the newsstands by the time this is published, uh, and in which we look at McLaren's renaissance and what pieces are missing and what an ingenious piece of graphic design it is by Frank Foster. Let's just take a moment to pat him on the back, even though he definitely doesn't listen to this podcast. Joining me to discuss this and other matters of moment in Formula One are someone who's just got off a plane and someone who's about to get on one. So, fresh from Vegas, baby, yeah, it's Mark Gallagher. Uh, Good to be here, and yeah, fresh from having a look at Formula One's newest street circuit, and uh, maybe we can maybe we can talk about that for a minute or two at some point. We we will we will uh, let's let's bring in Matt Q, who's soon to have to consult um, one of the internet's best suitcase packing videos because he's off to Qatar. Absolutely, uh, I think uh, we've got some good leg room on the on the flights going out, and they've uh, just upgraded all the circuit facilities, so I'm sure they'll look after us well. I mean, never mind the regime; it's all about the the treatment of the media centre. I find it at some of these races. So looking forward to. Looking well, forward to that. Have you got extra legroom on your Qatar Airlines flight, or are you? Uh, going yes, on? but rest assured, subscribers and readers of Autosport dot uh, com and magazine. Uh, I think it was just a, a handy allocation rather than us having paid to upgrade. That that wouldn't make it past expenses. Let's talk about Vegas because that is, you know, as we speak, coming up. And Mark, you've you've visited certain areas, and you know, I'd have kind of thought that with the American can-do attitude, they would have been slightly further on than they were, because this has got kind of some bits of the track seem to have the makings of uh, not staying attached to the ground for very long. Well, some parts of the track aren't actually laid as yet, so that's um, clearly going to be something of a. Not a challenge. I mean, you could get the you had the impression walking around it that there were a lot of people uh, being put to work. There was a lot of equipment at work. There was a lot of people on the main site where the permanent facility is being constructed, which is a couple of blocks away from the main Las Vegas Strip, which uh, is Las Vegas Boulevard, which is where all the the famous casinos or infamous casinos are located, and which is the the very long straight that. Uh, where the cars will reach top, reach top speed. So the permanent facility is very impressive. The track, the pits, uh, the, the, the pit lane rather, the track and the pit lane down that start-finish straight are still being completed. And I kind of looked at it, took some photographs, thought about it overnight, went back, had another look. And actually it's all the big stuff is done. Um, it's, the, it's the finishing touches, albeit... Quite a lot of finishing touches that need to be done, but I don't think, given the amount of people who are working on it, that it'll be too problematic for them to to get it all done. The overwhelming takeaway from visiting Las Vegas and walking the whole circuit, I ended up walking the whole track in the end, was just what a vast investment it is by Formula One and by Liberty Media. There is a huge amount of money going into creating that facility it's hugely impressive what they're doing, given that it is absolutely in the middle of Las Vegas. Everyone I spoke to, hotel porters, uh, you know, restaurant waiters, taxi drivers, everyone knows that Formula One is coming. There's a huge amount of excitement about it. And I have to say, I think it's going to be televisually um, and for photographers, it's going to be 
a really impressive track to to behold. So I think the imagery that will come out of it will will be impressive. What do I think of it as a race track? Because I, I did post a couple of pictures of the track on uh, social media and most of the feedback I got was negative from fans saying, we don't need this track, why are we going to Las Vegas? We don't need another uh, race in America. We don't need another street track that's going to be boring. Um, and actually, I think, if I may say so, based on what I looked at, I think they're wrong. I think it's going to be quite an addition to the calendar. Um, it may not be for the purists, but then I think if you invented Monte Carlo today, it would be laughed at. And yet Monte Carlo, for a great many of us, is, remains an iconic event. So I think the Las Vegas Grand Prix is going to be a very interesting one. Um, and I, I really think Formula One have pulled off something of a coup in getting the city and the state to allow them to come in and literally tear up the centre of the city to create uh, this event. So it's going to be it's going to be a bit special, I think. Yeah, you know, when you consider that when Caesar's Palace held a Grand Prix, um, the people in Caesar's Palace didn't know Formula One was in town. So quite the contrast. There was a lot that Bernie Eccleston did, which was ahead of his time. And he was thinking about Vegas as being the entertainment capital of America, you know, 40 years ago and putting on that race, albeit in a car park. And just as he did with his digital channels 20 years ago when he was trying to, to create a kind of a pay-per-view model for Formula One, again, it was ahead of his time. The difference here is that whatever Bernie tried to do with Caesar Palace and, and that sort of infamous race in the car park, Formula One have now gone back to Vegas and done it properly. And to see the entire length of that uh, Las Vegas Boulevard resurfaced and widened to create overtaking opportunities um, to see the fact that the F1 cars are going to be going past all of these iconic, you know, venues and, you know, from the, the low lifes such as the Trump tower all the way through Caesar palace, <laughs> uh, you know, the Mirage, uh, the Venetian, the Palazzo, it's an extraordinary Vista. The other thing is that, Las Vegas on, I mean, we're recording this last week of September. So on on Friday, 20, 29th of September, you two are opening the sphere. So the sphere is, as the name suggests, a sphere. It actually looks like a planet has landed in the middle of Vegas. It is the most extraordinary structure. It costs $2.3 billion to build. It's a billion dollars over budget. 58,000 square feet of LED screens on the outside of it. So you can do anything you want with this sphere in terms of imagery. And it has become already a complete tourist attraction in its own right. I took a walk down to it. Now that sphere is going to be turns five through to turn 10 of the track. So the cars will literally go around it. Uh, some of my followers on social media have said, you know, is it going to be a distraction for the drivers? I actually think it might. It is so extraordinary. I mean, it is such an, uh, a remarkable piece of, of vision and construction to, to create that. Um, but again, Formula One's going to be in the middle of, of all of this and using all of these iconic structures as a backdrop to a Formula One event. Um, the track has had a lot of work going, gone into it. Uh, it's narrowish in places, but not Baku narrow. Um, the boulevards in Las Vegas are wide. They've given a lot of thought into trying to make this track work uh, as a street track, but as a street track with, I think it's uh, on simula simulations, the top speed is about 210 miles an hour. So you know, it's not a slow street track. And I think it's going to be quite fascinating i will forecast that for it, it won't be for everyone las vegas isn't for everyone but i would forecast it for some team members for some media for some fans las vegas will become a go-to event in fact it'll become an event where you'll want to go early and possibly stay afterwards because there is so much to do and see in vegas and they are so switched on to hospitality and and just, you know, there's such a range of things to do. So it'll, it's going to be a very interesting um, development. The, the final thing I'll say on it is when you come away from that 
circuit and you come away from that city and you then reflect on some of the recent venues that have been added to the World Championship calendar where media and teams can't wait to get out of it. I mean, it's not really adding much value. They aren't really adding much value in terms of destinations. This is the opposite. So it's going to be quite a... It's going to, I'm really interested to see what the overall reaction is once we've actually had the race there. Shame you missed you too, but um, them's the breaks, I suppose. I've got a great you two joke for you. At the risk of this ending up on Podcast Martin's uh, cutting room floor... What's the difference between God and Bono? God doesn't walk down O'Connell Street thinking he's Bono. <laughs> Shall I tell you my Bono story from Formula One? Oh, please. Okay, so Monaco Grand Prix. Bono's in our hospitality having lunch. And uh, our press officer announces that he has to go and have his photograph taken on the start grid with Eddie Jordan. Um, so Bono gets up to go to the grid and he hands me his mobile phone. And he says, can you look after my mobile phone for me? Because I've got to go and do this photo shoot. And I'm expecting a call from Tony. And I said, okay, Tony, Tony here, Tony here. By the time I asked him, he had walked off. So I'm standing there holding Bono's mobile phone. He goes off to have his photograph taken on the grid. Sure enough, 10 minutes later, the phone rings. It's a UK number. I answer the number. And this person says, uh, Good afternoon, I've got Mr. Blair on the phone for Bono. Um, so it's a call from Tony Blair to Bono to talk about cancelling world debt or some such thing. And I end up having to relay a message to the UK Prime Minister that the Irish rock star is a little bit too busy having his photograph taken on a star grid with Eddie Jordan, um, which was quite an amusing <laughs> conversation, really. So that's my Bono after-dinner story. That's that's a Bono and a Tony Blair story. Let's let's drag this back out from from the realms of of madness and anecdotes, kicking and screaming to Las Vegas. Now, I I went there twice to cover motor racing. Sadly, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, but we stayed in the Paris, which is the hotel with the half-scale replica Eiffel Tower, uh, with one leg sticking through the casino roof. The question is. Is Matt Q on the roster to go to Las Vegas, or is is, is shaking his head? So oh, is this a, is this shame. a trade off, and you are going next year when it's probably slightly less cripplingly expensive? Absolutely, uh, I've got my colleagues going to Vegas, but I'm doing what I did for Miami, which is go the second year when everything works and is a little bit less monstrously expensive. Quite, quite. That's the way I'm framing it to make myself feel better about not going. Yeah, uh, that's a shame. That oh, well. is a shame because it is quite fun. Did you did you take in a show when you went there, Mark? No, I didn't take in a show, although I was accosted by a young lady in pink bikini bottoms and nothing on top who was walking down the street and trying to drag me into a venue to see a show. <laughs> she, she started trying to describe what the show was about, but I assured her that I was there on business and didn't really have any time to... Uh, to enjoy whatever uh, fair was on offer. But Sur- anyway, surely yeah. it's mostly people who are there on business that go in for that sort of thing and whack it on expenses. Uh, I mean, having just told that rather seedy story, but it, you know, it is a fact of Las Vegas that there's a lot of adult entertainment available. They have they're working really hard to reinvent it as a actually not to reinvent it. They have reinvented it as a family destination. And actually, I was pleasantly surprised to find that, you know, 90% of what was on offer was family-oriented, great fun. There was tons of shows on. As I say, U2 opening the sphere. They're then running a um, 25-night program uh, uh, in the sphere. So the sphere is inside it. It's an 18,500-seat venue um kylie minogue is about to start her residency adele's doing her residency you know it's just there's so much to see there so it is it is excellent uh, I, I think and one thing that that i've also left with is a further concern about the future of circuit of the americas Possibly even the future of Miami. Now I know that I know they're on long-term contracts, but if Vegas gets it right to the extent that I think they can, it's going to knock the socks off the other two 
United States Grand Prix. And uh, and the only thing that will stop even more people going will be the will be the prices. But uh, the fact of the, but the fact remains, it, uh, it it probably will become the glitziest of the three American races, and uh, dare I say it, the the Monte Carlo race of the twenty first century. It's interesting that because Cota is very much the the track that was the thin end of the wedge in bringing Formula One back to America. And, and financially, it didn't do very well, those first few US Grand Prix. And coincidentally, this will uh, this year will be my first time at Cota. It's uh, having been pre- uh, the uh, att- attendance there, given that it's considered one of the cool Grand Prix, monopolised by one of my predecessors. So uh, now, post-pandemic, things have opened up a bit. I'm going to do the monopolising. Thank you. Very good. Enjoy. Back to magazine business, uh, the latest issue of the magazine, which um, finally, courtesy of our slightly dodgy postal system, managed to arrive on my doormat on the same day. It uh, landed on the newsstands, which is not the way it's supposed to pan out uh, for subscribers. So subscribers who've been getting their copies late, I apologise. The Alan Partridge style, I was made promises by the postal services, which weren't kept. Anyway, when we talk about a McLaren renaissance, we don't, of course, mean they've taken up painting in proper perspective down in Woking, perhaps rediscovered an interest in humanism. Although, who knows, uh, perhaps when Matt Q attends the team principal's press conference in Qatar, he can ask Zach Brown about classicism and inductive reasoning. The interesting thing about this feature, obviously, Andrew Benson's written it with his usual rigour, but it was done before the last this last sort of clutch of Grom's pre where uh, McLaren have bolted on the final bit of the upgrade program and it seems to really really work it's still a difficult car to drive and uh, there are still a few elements to slot into place hence our aforementioned astoundingly clever cover treatment yeah, I have to I have to praise Frank Foster because uh, this the uh, the Banksy Mercedes treatment it's uh, phenomenal phenomenal covers and uh, I won't give anything away but uh, the commission you recently gave me you sort of suggested one one art treatment that might be uh, that might be deployed for it and that sounds very good as well although I tried a little bit to kibosh that with the opening sentence of my future but anyway that's getting that's getting off track with the with the McLaren yeah we, we might we might have actually changed our mind on the headline as well so uh, oh. but it's, it's it's a great pun anyway carry on it is it is uh the McLaren thing I don't want to go over old ground but it just comes back to uh, I think just how convincing um, Andreas Celerates he feels like the signing of the season in some ways more than Alonso Aston Martin or, or anything else he is he is such a sort of he's a person you 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 know go into work go into work for basically go into go into battle for um, I find it interesting sort of how bold they're being and how and how much they've changed the narrative because uh, as of uh, this like the the three stage upgrade package that they did they started for Austria that was their the pull quote was we're going to change virtually every single aerodynamic part on their car and then the the other pull quote that's come to line in, in recent weeks is that you know it's only 60% of what we think we can achieve from this platform they think there's another you know the What's the maths on that? <laughs> Journalists are rubbish at maths. We can, we can gloss over that. They think there's they think there's a lot more to come, and so now you're looking at a situation where, okay, Mercedes are finally abandoning this zero uh, pod car architecture in time for in time for next season. Where Ferrari are at under Vassour and the fact that they can't recruit people to join until 2025. Aston since Miami and and as uh, they sort of talk about uh, not being able to run a particularly flexible front wing suddenly you're thinking well if we're going to see a different winner between now and 2026 perhaps it's McLaren and as as uh, Andrew Benson notes in his feature the car's still not perfect it's got the the uh, long corner handling deficits that Norris has banged on about pretty much since sort of 2019 really that you know on off throttle moments those long corners the car begins to get unsettled uh, but it's it's all come along well, and the fact that um, I spoke to I spoke to Zach Brown um, in a recent Grand Prix. What was that Zandvoort maybe? And it's not just that you've got the upgrade package coming now, and the fact that think they can go a step further for next year. It's also that in this time they are currently correlating the new wind tunnel, which a 
it's a state-of-the-art piece of technology, so just give them a performance benefit. But also, because they're no longer freighting stuff to Cologne for the Toyota facility and paying the stuff to rent that, they have a wiggle room within the cost cap to pay for a new tunnel, and then that will free up more resource down the line to spend testing new parts in the wind tunnel. And suddenly you think there's quite a bit of momentum. And although um, Andrew Benson does does cover it off in, in, in his wonderful feature, I saw the slight worry I have is just uh, with McLaren it's just how convoluted and complex that setup is so three technical chiefs reporting to Stella who while he is a public face of the team he's in that trifecta of power with uh, Piers and, and, and uh, Gilles de Ferran Stella has always said the reason he wants that is to have conflicting ideas and then basically cherry pick the best ones and bolt those onto the car to extract performance. So it's just whether that then becomes, if they go down like a developmental dead end, whether they have too many cooks to get out of it. But um, I'm going to ignore that part of my brain and go with how convincing Stella is in the upward trajectory McLaren says and uh, uh, McLaren seems to be on. Hopefully it's game on for going against Red Bull next year and the season after. The point you raised about potentially too many cooks was one that I was very concerned about when they uh, restructured the management there. And I'm personally not that big a fan of team principals who are from a technical background because I think they can start to over-manage, micromanage, go down too many rabbit holes. It's good to have a team principal who kind of stands astride the whole organisation. And, of course, Andrea Stella has a lot more on his plate than just the technical side of the team. He's got to look after all of the political, commercial, external relationships with the FIA, uh, negotiations with Formula One, all the other teams on an array of subjects, etc. But here we are. And three months after those upgrades started to come through, the proof has been in the eating. And it's undeniable that when a driver of Landon Norris's capability, irrespective of the car's continuing flaws, is able to punch in four second place results, really impressive performance. And to see Piastri join him on the podium in Japan and to see actually McLaren closing on Aston Martin. And I think Landon Norris's recent comments uh, to our colleague Jonathan Noble um, about the fact that he believes that they can overhaul Aston in the World Championship. You know, for Aston to have been overtaken by Ferrari, to have McLaren, to have a, certainly to have a McLaren's drivers thinking about the fact that that's a target, even though Andrea Stella says it's, it's not one that he wants to focus on too much because he thinks they're already flat out doing the best they can. But... Norris also makes a really important point about the fact that not only did McLaren have a pretty good weapon in the MCL 60, but they also have a two-car team with two drivers who are able to to you know push the performance on, which unfortunately is not the case at Aston Martin, given the the struggle that Lance Stroll clearly has had this year. I think this year overall, certainly from the the middle of the season, which means Aston is racing with one hand tied behind its back, uh, it would seem. So for McLaren, it's been a team on the up and the restructure in terms of whatever it's done short term has certainly worked. And to your point, uh, Matt, Andrea Stella is coming across very well and he's winning over friends within Formula One. I thought it was very interesting to see him you know, showing the media around the car and being able to explain the work that's been done and, you know, very hands-on and, you know, a real racer at work, which, of course, at the end of the day is what every team needs leading it, someone who really is pushing on as a racer to get the best possible results. So it's been a terrific uptick for McLaren, whether they can sustain that into and through next season, and particularly with Mercedes pressing the reset button on their car as well. You know, it remains to be seen, but very encouraging at the moment. My pal Mika Hakkinen, who, as you guys know, I do a bit of work with. I mean, Mika has attended quite a lot of races this year, very close to Zach, very close to the team. He's super excited about what he's seen. And he, he has been saying since since June and since the restructure that he believes the team is on the up and up. So very good to see. Unlike Felipe Massa, uh, uh... Mika Hakkinen, an F1 ambassador who's still invited to Grand Prix. 
Yeah. So is Felipe no longer welcome, is he? Matt has written about the um, the slight unlikelihood of um, uh, Felipe Massa's uh, action being successful, and uh, apparently it was it was Stefano Domenicali himself who rang Felipe saying, "Don't bother coming to any more races." Yeah, well, do you remember Codders when we uh, we attended the Monaco Grand Prix, and the Qataris invited us onto that rented yacht to. And that man with the excellent teeth um, showed us the renders of what the LaSalle said. Oh, yeah, like. very, very expensive teeth. Yeah, and then uh, and then they had uh, Felipe Massa at the end, uh, slagging off 2008. So he was he was uh, he was sort of um, bringing up the issue and while at Grand Prix. So uh, so uh, he got he got a few sort of um, jabs in, I suppose, while while he was uh, chatting to VIPs. But yeah, he's now been asked politely probably don't come don't bite the hand that's yeah. feeding you Felipe what what I thought was interesting about that whole thing the scenario on the yacht was that um the the host who's a well-known tv broadcaster obviously went, went down the road of asking him about the 2008 Singapore thing because he probably couldn't think of anything else to talk to him about and also it was quite an awkward situation because quite a lot of people had buggered off to the bar if I may say so uh, in, in unvarnished prose uh, and and, it, and there was a lot of ambient chatter and natter and we could actually barely hear Felipe even though we were on the front row and we were being very polite just sort of sitting there looking like we actually cared as he basically said pretty much what he'd already said. But as Matt points out in his column, um, it's basically, it's going to cost him because lawyers are expensive and uh, he's, he's not going to make any money out of it. Yeah, it's not about the money in the same statement where the lawyers say Felipe Massa has been denied tens of millions of euros, but it's not about the money. <laughs> it's not about the money. As uh, Who was it who sang that? Jesse J. Price tag. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Elsewhere in this issue... Alex Kalinorkas got to spend a race weekend listening in to the Haas engineering briefings. He attended the briefings. Now, these are things where occasionally in Drive to Survive, you will see a very short bit of one of these and it'll usually be someone arguing or throwing something. So what Alex came back with was... uh, what you would think would be one of the more combustible um, engineering debriefs, uh, a team at the back of the grid where things are going wrong constantly and you have a team principal who's known for his, um, shall we say, sweary outbursts, um, that it was all calmness, professionalism. Gunter Steiner didn't utter a single F-bomb. In fact, he was quiet throughout. Uh, and it, it's amazing how focused and meticulous even a team at the back of the grid is with its approach to engineering. Drive to Survive is interested in histrionics and drama and you know, race engineering meetings, debriefs, day-to-day work in Formula One is a very serious professional business conducted by serious professional people. And I have to say that from my own experience, sitting in debriefs they're always very well ordered there's a process that you follow in those meetings we know who's going to contribute what what people are included um what their contribution has to be who's accountable for whichever role or or responsibility there is in the team so it's it's very methodical and very planned and the the feedback that i often had when i've brought guests into a Formula One environment, and these could be, you know, chief executives of a major, let's say, a major technology sponsor, and you might end up with a senior executive coming into a technical meeting. People will very often come out and say, wow, it's incredibly calm. There's just no, there's no shouting or screaming. And you you kind of wonder why people would think that would be the case. Um, And I think that really comes from the way the Perhaps the media cover, the broadcast media cover formula, everything's dramatic and sensational and catastrophic. And But actually for the people on the inside, it's all planned. And even when things go wrong, nine times out of 10, they've already simulated that thing going wrong. They already know what's what the issue is. They already know that the car has a particular issue that raises its head down again, so on and so forth. So I think... It's a brilliant feature because what Alex is doing is lifting the lid on 
just how professional all of the teams are when it comes to tackling the challenge of building, running, racing a complex Formula One car in the current era. And that these teams employ smart people um, who are, at the end of the day, arch professionals. And this is their this is their day job. And they take it very seriously. A few things to say is, one, I should note Alex's excitement around the British Grand Prix. He, he absolutely loved... Uh, doing this feature and also credit full credit to Haas and their excellent PR team of, of Jess and, and Stu because um, you can imagine a little further up the grid where it is so fraught and some teams have you know gone down developmental dead developmental dead ends and they're, they're you know pointing fingers at everyone and then proclaiming a no blame culture you can imagine they really would be a lot more opaque and not allowing a, a journalist to sit in the back of the room and, and having access to this information so so credit to Haas but one thing that sort of popped up while I was reading the feature is maybe an ounce of um, sympathy for Perez because the way Alex frames it is that you know Magnussen and Hulkenberg have had quite contrasting seasons Hulkenberg's been excellent Magnussen's probably left a, a little to be desired but they're both giving extremely similar feedback on the car so you can imagine if, if that's Red Bull in a similar scenario why obviously you don't develop a car around one driver because that you know could possibly leave some lap time on, on the table if you're suiting preferences so that's you know that's a that's a myth that Red Bull have developed the RB19 to suit Max but you can understand why sort of session by session setup would certainly favour a driver if they're giving similar feedback and you go down one way of curing it and then you're leaving the other driver to sort of rectify the issues and and having and doing that by adopting someone else's setup tweaks and having looking at data to see where they're breaking their, their acceleration traces, but that obviously not being their their sort of preferred driving styles. So you can you can see why people get drawn into drawn down a certain path and that just absolutely saps their confidence. So um I might be t- putting two and two together and coming out with five, but that's sort of just that was just a thought that popped into my head reading that. Different teams have different engineering debriefs, but you do wonder why um, things happen as they do when obviously one driver isn't making the car work. So it is quite peculiar. And one one thing we should point out uh, is that you know as as is fairly well known, certain things that the Haas car doesn't do well. And one of the reasons that we are publishing the feature now rather than immediately after the British Grand Prix when Alex uh, sat in was that the the team's one concern was that confidential stuff about car performance would sort of be known before they'd want other teams knowing about it so we sort of they said after Singapore will be fine and I said that's great this issue will be published um just after Singapore so we'll we'll pop it in the in the October issue but yeah there there is a known aerodynamic issue with the car that just seems to bedevil them and um Ayukamatsu apologizes and uh to the drivers and says yeah you know the aerodynamicists are working on it it's something that's known we're tr- we're trying to find a fix and uh by all accounts um that fix is on the way because the um has will be getting an upgrade package for what circuit of the americas matt yeah absolutely home race and uh i think every team will be running some configuration of the, the Red Bull Pioneer downwash side pod concept because Haas are obviously still, you know, showing a bit of lag and with that Ferrari sort of bathtub set up. But um, that, as we understand it, will be no more. And there's a very interesting technical feature coming in next month's GP Racing, written by someone not too far from this room, about uh, the RB19 and why it's not actually a particularly groundbreaking car. And yet some of the finest brains in the paddock have been unable to copy its success but that's for next month uh this month um even the most enumerate journalist knows that three into two doesn't go daniel ricardo's injury and liam lawson's surprisingly good cameo uh theoretically gave AlphaTauri a selection headache since yuki Tsunoda hasn't had the best of seasons uh we've got a feature on liam lawson coming up next month which is fascinating because it covers some of the backstory to his career which people may not know about uh but he'll be staying on the sidelines in 2024 because AlphaTauri have confirmed that um well the driver lineup is going to be unchanged so with that in mind this month uh we sent 
Oleg to run the rule over Yuki Tsunoda to see if we could break down some of the lazy cliches that have grown up about him, particularly his work ethic, and sort of looking into the reasons why he's been kept on. And um, yeah, it turns out he still hates the smell of gyms, but he's he's knuckled down to a routine of, of self-improvement and more importantly, seems to be maturing a little bit and having fewer of these peculiar... Uh, temper tantrums accompanied by Gunter Steiner-style F-bombs in the car. Yeah, from my own point of view, I think there was never really any doubt that Daniel Ricciardo was going to get the nod to continue because um, the injury has been obviously really less than ideal for Daniel, you know, just just worst possible thing to have occurred when he gets a chance to get himself back into a car. Um, And Liam Lawson has made the most of the opportunity. You know, scoring points is... It's always a good thing for a young driver to do when they make their debut in Formula One, and particularly in a car that hasn't been really showing particularly well. So Daniel, um, from my perspective, is a shoe and always was because Helmut Marco, the Red Bull system, had determined that they wanted to welcome him back and they wanted to see what they could get out of them and what they could extract from him and whether he could have a bounce back within Formula One after what had been a, a very difficult time in his career. And uh, those decisions weren't taken lightly. So they weren't going to put him in the car and then, you know, shuffle him off to the sidelines at the first opportunity. There was a lot of thought behind him coming back. Um, he's won eight Grand Prix, over 30 podium finishes. He's still passionate to drive the car. He's doing a great job with the other work that Red Bull are giving him as a brand ambassador for the for the whole organisation. Um, I would go as far as to say it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Daniel could still find himself back in a in the top in the top team alongside Max in the future. Um, I think that's something which you know isn't beyond the realms of possibility at all. But, so Daniel's in there firmly. Liam has proven himself in in a very short period of time. He's a guy who's achieved a lot in his in the lower formula in karting in Formula Ford and then worked his way up. I think he's lying second in the uh, Super Formula Championship in in, uh, in Japan at the moment. So he's he's a very capable guy. He's proven himself. He's got time on his side, and the fact that he's managed to get himself into a Formula One car at this stage, I think, can only stand him in good stead for the future. Opportunities are going to open up in the next couple of years. And uh, I think Liam will be able to make the most of those when they arise. You have to be careful with your wording. I think you need to say he's not going to have a race seat at the start of 2024 because you can quite easily see a chain of events where Perez can't rebuild his confidence, gets flicked, Ricardo gets into that main team, Uber marketable, does a strong job, and then and then suddenly there's a berth for, for Lawson sort of what did what De Vries made it 10, 10 races. So uh so you know hungry time next year Lawson could be in. But yeah, to to come back to Sonoda, was it uh what what race would it have been? Sort of um just just before Hungary, obviously, uh or maybe it was, it was Miami actually and there's the there's a press conference and uh Drivers were asked to name their their sort of stand up performance start of the season if you couldn't say Max Verstappen so to sort of uh, draw some attention away from him and uh, De Vries was asked at first and said Yuki Sonoda which is fair Sonoda had an excellent start to the season but obviously there's a motivation there from De Vries to say your teammates best when you're under intense scrutiny so you want to say well you know I uh, the guy next to me is doing a mega job so if I'm a bit behind him I'm still being quite competent and then the other drivers went oh yeah Yuki as well then because you know it's a boring press conference and they probably couldn't be bothered to think of an alternative answer but at, that, yeah, at the start of the like season that, yeah. yeah at the start of the season uh, Sonoda was was doing an alright job and then, and then and then yeah fell away and what prior to Japan he managed I think a corner over three races didn't he retiring on the uh, on the lap to the grid and then uh, and then uh, Singapore getting biffed off by a clumsy uh, a clumsy Perez but um, it's, it's an odd one because he is a known value now there is not an ounce of data that Red Bull don't know about him he's had you know uh, what four seasons who have had three or sorry he's going into his four seasons so Red Bull know what he's capable of his his rate of improvement um so it's it's interesting that they've 
uh, uh, stuck with him uh, and sort of the cynic part, cynical part of me says obviously how much Honda is is tied to his F1 fortunes and that the announcement of him staying on arrived in time for, for the Japanese Grand Prix his and Honda's own um, but yeah he's he's good value I would hate to be the AlphaTauri chassis designer for next year because you've got Ricardo who um basically because his McLaren tenure was going so so badly he thought one way to sort of offset a tenth or two's difference in Lando Norris was to drop even more weight so he's incredibly lean but very tall and then you've got Sonoda who is stocky not not to be like confused with being in any way chunky it's just he's 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 short and he packs on muscle well so that that monocoque is going to be have to be stretched every way this way and that to accommodate two drivers one of whom probably won't see the end of the season because he'll get promoted to red bull so uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be or, or unless you do was it uh, uh nigel mansell at, at mclaren and just make it too small and so sort of deal with it but um sorry that's getting sidetracked but yeah uh sonoda in short good good value and um and actually alongside Ricardo is extremely marketable yes the sweary sound bites are probably a, an inaccurate reflection of his character but it doesn't mean they don't go down especially well like that's one of um, all the drivers being asked uh, what is your dream in life and you know they all go pick for the I want to be an F1 world champion and then it cuts to Snowder and he's open a restaurant and that sort of uh, difference in mentality <laughs> was quite amusing I felt you make a very good point there uh, about the lack of longevity of these drivers because in I was it Singapore uh, AlphaTauri um, proved out a new dynamic branding system and uh, when when I got the um, press release about that I thought well that's got a Mark Gallagher. Uh, pro feature written all over it uh so i duly forwarded it on and i floated it at one of our editorial meetings and uh, uh, the aforementioned art editor of gp racing frank uh, a, a sagacious and observant fellow said is that because they change drivers so often they can just flick a switch and you can get a different number and name on it <laughs> just have ro- rotating personal sponsors in whatever order you need them to be in according to the driver lineup. I think the you know the Sonoda thing's interesting because I I, th- I think one of the points about getting older is you look back well first of all everyone seems to be younger than you certainly in motor racing everyone's younger than me now. Um but the other thing is that um, you know you look at a 20-year-old driver coming into Formula 1 as Sonoda did and and then people criticise them for being a bit immature and up and the outbursts and you think they are twenty. I mean, literally, <laughs> literally, you know, they they are incredibly young. No matter how much of a career they've had in junior formula, nothing prepares them for the seismic step into Formula One and everything that comes with that. That the, all the good things and all the less good things and the pressure and the the degree to which the media are waiting for everything that comes out of your every, every utterance that, that comes out. And, of course, especially now these days with social media and also this kind of unforgiving world where, you know, radio communications are broadcast and quite quite naturally, you know, Formula One will often choose to broadcast the communications that are a little bit more spicy. So I look at someone like Sonona and I think, well, he's been doing a lot of growing up in the public domain over the three years that he's been in F1. And he's he's bound to have had some of those sharper edges rounded off. He is a great he's a great driver and he is a good personality. And it's nice that he is a little bit different. Um the fact that he hates a gym, it means I'm a bit of a fan of his because I'm not particularly keen on gyms myself. Um I think again that's quite refreshing because you know so many of the drivers it's all about, you know, I'm at the gym, look at me, I'm you know Doing all this, all this training for him—it's a necessary evil to do what it is that he actually really enjoys, which is driving, and uh, and he's pretty handy at that. But I, I agree with everything Matt has to say. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting twelve months ahead, I think, in, in Red Bull world. Um, Perez has had a a very difficult time this year, and it's not going to be surprising to see change afoot in the course of the next 12 months if he doesn't really find his feet again and become a more consistent uh, supporter to Max in the team. It's At times this year, it has been quite shocking to go on and see just, just how things are going for him. And uh, 
you know, whatever the reasons behind it. It's, um, you know, obviously I, hear, I listen to all the things that Sergio has to say about it, but the fact remains that the truth is in the data and the lap times and the performance, and it's just not quite there. And certainly the consistency has been nowhere near where it needs to be. Although, of course, um, Marco doesn't even know which part of America Perez is from, so he can't send him back. I had a, a supped a couple of beers with uh, Autosport Chief Editor Kevin Turner last night. And rather than us being normal human beings talking about life and the world, we obviously spent hours opining about motorsport and uh, oh, no, he's got, got some, opinions hasn't he well quite but we got some numbers out and yeah sorry to dog on Perez but the the super times metric or which basically tells you it's a lie detector test between teammates but you know because occasionally he's had like one second gaps to Verstappen and he is in the ballpark of Sergeant Albon and we thought that's pretty pretty telling oh Williams super times gaps and he at the moment has the 1992 same as 1992 with a gap from Patrese to Mansell so you put him in that ballpark of sort of the the lap time he's leaving on that table and let's you know semantics it is impossible to outdrive that car it's a horrible saying that you can outdrive the car outperform the car that's so what Verstappen is doing is what the RB19 is physically capable of and uh, and Perez is underachieving. It's it, Verstappen is on for like a Lewis Hamilton 2018 spec where he can mathematically win the constructors' title single handedly. And then and then you look at Perez and Horner and Marco's argument has always been for as long as he's second in the championship, which is which is fine when you've got that car. But if to you know in in like one show style, uh, refer back to the beginning of the programme and make it all seem like a well thought out package if you think of McLaren's (laughs) renaissance if they are breathing down uh, uh, Red Bull's neck and it comes to a point where you need to split strategies or or basically have a rear gunner that's when Perez will be exposed as you know he was a he was a brilliant playmate in um, was it 2021 uh, Abu Dhabi and again um uh, it was in the Japanese Grand Prix last year. He, he you know, he assisted Verstappen in, in winning his two titles on the day. But that there is a scenario where he needs to do that for 23, 24 races plus sprint events next year. But if he has the one second delta that he's got at the minute, he won't be able to do that. And then his position, when it's not also as well, where Red Bull has is no longer one man's place anymore it is it is a is you know under Oliver Mintzlaff he is now a promoted suit as opposed to like a czar ruling every, over everything like Mastic was so at that point you have to you know make sense on a spreadsheet and and Perez can't be sort of dropping the ball he has to be right within a tenth or two of, of Verstappen which I know is extremely hard ask and you've seen you know Gasly Albon um uh uh Kvyat fail to do similar to Verstappen but but someone someone has to to justify the means and if it Prez isn't doing that then he'll be he'll be given the short shrift and can discuss 13 million dollar payouts with Daniel Ricciardo I think what's going to be interesting as well to see with six Grand Prix to go quite a lot of points still available it would only take a couple of really good results for Lewis Hamilton and Sergio could be under pressure in the second in the championship uh, there's 33 33 points separating them at the moment. Um, Lewis loves racing in the United States. I cannot think of a race that Lewis will want to do better in than Las Vegas. I mean, we know how much he loves Circuit of the Americas. I think Vegas will be another kind of almost second home race for for Lewis. He is so well known in the United States. And again, when I was in Vegas, I asked people, you know, what do you know about Formula One? It was It was very interesting how many people not only knew about Formula One and mentioned Lewis, but actually the Max Verstappen dominance has definitely reached the the burgers of Las Vegas. So they I got a lot of people asking me questions about Lewis and Max. But anyway, back to the, the Perez thing. If you if you could imagine a scenario over these last six races where Lewis somehow pulls together enough podium finishes if Sergio's having bad weekends to get second in the drivers' championship. That would be, I mean, that's going to feel like almost a win, dare I say it, for for Mercedes and Lewis in the world championship. It is time for us to sign off. You can find out all the latest subscriptions offers to our fine magazine going to gpracing.com. 
so yeah, they will have some sort of bargainicious offer where you can take out a subscription for less than you would pay in the shops. If you still have a hankering to buy it in the shops and don't know which which shop to go to, we have our fabulous store finder, courtesy of our distributors. Go to www.seymour.co.uk. That's Seymour spelled as in the middle name of the sadly deceased Oscar-winning actor Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, fine performance as Truman Capote, uh, as well as many others. Uh, yeah, that's us from us. It's, it's time to say goodbye and bon package to Matt Q. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'll be, uh, I think underwear is all clean. So as you say, uh, I just need a, a handy packing video to, to know how to how to put it all in a suitcase and prepare for a Grand Prix. Is, uh, is there a URL uh, to a YouTube video you might be able I to I think it, might, it might be somewhere on YouTube. Is it called Destination Singapore? As opposed to the uh, 1990s dance track Destination Unknown. Or indeed the Shaman track Destination Eschaton. There you see. Over, to you, over to you, Mark. <laughs> also, goodbye and thank you to the rolling of eyes, Mark Gallagher. Yeah, have a great trip to Qatar. Hope you have a, hope you have a great race weekend. Thank you very much. A good run of blags recently. So in uh, Zanvor, it was a uh, it was a ceramic windmill. In Singapore, it was a handheld fan to keep us cool in humidity. So I'm uh, I'm hoping for good things from uh, from Qatar. I'll I'll, I'll I'll report back. Just thinking about it, I could position a handheld fan in front of the ceramic windmill and see if I could generate my own electricity. As you're off to one of the fossil fuel giants of the world in Qatar, any renewable alternatives will be will be appreciated. Quite. Indeed, and, and a quick thank you before we sign off to our unbidden third guest who's visible over my shoulder. <laughs> He's gone. Uh, apologies for any squeaking when Jasper was airing his opinions on Yuki Tsunoda earlier. Uh, he's obviously decided it's his dinner time, even though it is nowhere near. Anyway, that's it. Thank you very much also to our producer, Martin Lee, the long-suffering producer. And we'll speak to you next month. Podcast Network.